Well, it's good to be with you today. Uh, you're going to have a hard time hearing my voice. I have a hard time hearing my voice or hearing myself, actually, not feeling very well uh, this week. But it's one of those jobs where it's like, how do I call in sick? I'm not sure that works very well. So maybe i got to figure this out. So I've been at home for the last couple of days just trying to trying to get better. And I feel like I'm getting, getting around the corner. But then I think the last thing that kind of happens is your voice. So uh, we'll, get through, we'll get through today for sure. I'm really excited about what we're doing. We're about to enter into a new, a new sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. And um, these chapters in Matthew chapters 5 through 7 are, are probably some of the most famous, famous um, scripture passages for sure. But I think they're the most important for, for anyone who wants to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to spend not enough time, to be honest, on them. Uh, we're going to spend some time on them, and I'll probably have to come back to them another, another time later on. But we're going to spend about six weeks going through the, the, key, the key elements of the Sermon on the Mount. If you were going to go to an island somewhere or start a new life, and someone said you can only take, you know, two pages of your Bible with you, um, I recommend that you would take these ones with you um, because they'll help you live the way that Jesus requires us to live. And that's why they're so essential for us to understand. And so we're going we're gonna to look at that and spend some time doing that. Now, uh, I was off with my wife. We were having a, a great vacation and only had access to like two channels, unfortunately, which was like TV channels, which was the news. So like you, um, I've been probably glued to the news for the last couple of weeks, watching what's going on in Israel and Gaza and being devastated by it as well, recognizing the severity of what's happening and um, really the uniqueness of what's happening there at this particular time. This, this uh, war, this clash, this moment of time is very unique. It's, it's different than any others in, in, a, in a significant way. Um, I won't get into all of that, but I, I want to talk about it for a couple minutes because I don't think we should be ignorant um, around Israel. For example, the Bible that you have, um, it, it's a story of Israel. And so as followers of Jesus Christ, um, we read that we've been engrafted in or adopted, actually, adopted into um, Israel. And so there are adopted, I guess, brothers and sisters in Christ, whether they acknowledge that or not. Um, some do and some don't. But we, we are related to what's happening there. Their story is our story. Their history is actually our history. It's become our history. And so one day we will, we will be with them in, and uh, celebrate um, the king, the, the Messiah of, of Israel. And so that's something to look forward to. And, and this, this war, this conflict is unique because there's a lot of things in, and I'm not, I'm not a prophecy guy. Like, I'm not good at it. In other words, understanding it all. I've been that guy since I was little going, you know what, if it's supposed to happen, it'll happen, and I'll figure it out when it's happening. You know, I'm not the one that's, like, trying to figure it out before everything happens. Because I've watched people for generations get it wrong, um, and for generations fight about it, and you're like, I don't think you really know what you're talking about anyway. So I've just kind of tuned that out. But I will tell you, though, um, that for the end times to begin to happen, um, a couple things needed to be true. One was that Israel had to hack, be back in the land, okay? They had to be in the land. And they haven't been in the land for 18 years until like um, the, the 40s. It's not that long ago. So for 1800 years they hadn't had a nation. They hadn't been back in the land. And, uh, and for the last 50 years there's been relative, relative peace uh, in some sense. 
And so what has to happen at the end times is that Israel does need to be attacked um, in a significant way. I don't want to go into that because I'm not saying we're around the corner from the end times. I think we're in the end times, uh, and I think a lot has to happen. But one of the things that's driving me nuts about the news is, of course, um, trying to figure out, you know, why, why can't there be peace? Can't there be peace? Can't they coexist? And who did it? And when did they do it? And when did it happen? And so Israel say, well, this, you know, this happened October 7th. And, uh, and if you listen to the news that are talking to the people in Gaza, they're like, oh, no, 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 this began back. And they'll, they'll go back to, like, whatever, 2006. And someone else will say, no, 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 this is back into, like, uh, the 60s when there was another uprising and a big war. No, 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 this is back into the 40s. No, 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 this is back. I want you to know something today that I think we need to know to be aware. Um, no, no, <laughs> this actually began a lot longer than that. And so if you look in your, your word, and I'm going to turn there just for a couple minutes. I'm going to try my darndest not to spend too much time there. But I want to go all the way back to Genesis. Genesis. This is where this started, okay? And a lot of us don't know this. And so if you go back in your Bible, first thing I want you to know is this. In Genesis chapter 6, what happened? There was a massive flood. And what God said is he looked at the world, and the world was filled with violence, the world was filled with evil. That word violence and evil in Hebrew, just so you know, is Hamas. Okay? So, yes, that's not exactly what the Arabic would say. Hamas is actually an acronym for Palestinian resistance. But in Hebrew, and you got to know that we're in a spiritual world, in Hebrew, Hamas to the Israelites mean violence and attack. So they represent that in scripture. When you get to a little bit farther in your book, and I'm doing this so you'll read it later. I'm not doing this so you, I can teach you all of it today. So if you go in your Bibles past Genesis 6, of course, and then you go into where you meet this guy named Abraham. Abraham and Sarah, okay? And God makes a special covenant with Abraham, and he says, look, I'm choosing you. I am choosing you to become a nation, a people for me. Now, I don't think he picked the best guy out there. I don't know why he picked them. Um, he, he made a lot of big mistakes. I mean, but he picked them, and he said, look, I want to I use you. And it said Abraham believed God, and he counted him as righteous. So he began to walk with God because he believed God. He trusted God. And he said, I'm going to give you, and he took him to the land of Canaan, okay? He took him to this land, and he showed him this area of Israel, and he said, this is going to be yours and your descendants, this is going to be your land. And, of course, Abraham's like, well, <laughs> this is back in Genesis 16, it starts. Um, well, I don't have any kids. <laughs> so is it my servants that are going to inherit this? And God said, no, no, no. You and your wife are going to have a son. And this is going to be their land. And this is going to be their inheritance. He's like, huh. Sarah is like, this ain't happening, buddy. Like, you're old. <laughs> I'm old. I don't know how it's going to happen. She didn't trust God. She didn't believe him. So she said, well, we have this servant, this Egyptian. Okay? Significant. <laughs> An Arab. We have a servant, Hagar. Why don't you take her and have a kid with her? Because I can't have any. You've been trying. You have no success. So he does. And they have a child. And the child's name, Ishmael. Okay? And so... Abraham's like, solved. 
And, but when um, Hagar got pregnant, Sarah all of a sudden disdained her, mistreated her, abused her, didn't like her because she was going to have a kid and she couldn't have a kid and basically abused her to the point where she ran away. Hagar ran away pregnant and God met her and said, no, 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 go back, go back, go back. Don't worry, I'll look after your kid and I'll make him into a nation too. Oh, wow. Okay, so she goes back. And Abraham says to God, thank you. You know, he's going to be a great nation. And, and God says, no, no. I said, you and Sarah are going to have a child. And he's going to represent. And they're going to inherit the land. And they're going to become a great nation. And Sarah overheard Abraham talking about it and laughed. Remember? So she laughed because she still didn't believe. And sure enough, she actually does become pregnant. And they named him. Isaac. Now, you got Sarah and Hagar, not, they don't, not like each other. They're fighting already. One's an Egyptian, one's an Arab, okay, and one's to be an Israelite, and they're fighting already. And then they have two kids, and what happens is the one's later in teens, older, an older one now, and this other one's younger. And Hagar and Ishmael start, we don't know the words, the words are hard, picking on, being aggressive towards, mocking, belittling, um, Isaac. And Sarah overhears this and goes to Abraham and says, look, you are bringing, you have brought into our family violence, Hamas. They need to go. So Abraham's totally upset. He loved Agar. He loved, um, he loved Ishmael. But he said, okay, I'm going to send you away. You're no longer part of the family. You're cut. You're cut off. And so they get, they get cut off and they leave and God approaches her, Hagar, and Ishmael and says, don't worry, I got you. I'll look after you. You'll still become a great nation. Okay. And so then you, you remember the story uh, that God asked Abraham to, to sacrifice Isaac. So now he has one son left. He sent away the other one and he has one only son left. And God says, now I need you to sacrifice Isaac. He goes up, goes to sacrifice him. I'm fast forwarding. So if this is a new story for you, please go back and read it. Take your time. It's a great afternoon read. And, 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 and he put, and it says, Isaac put on his shoulders. Now this isn't, this is amazing about scripture, okay? Carried the wood onto his shoulders up for his own sacrifice. Foreshadow, his only son, future nation, future kingdom. Jesus carried his own wood on his shoulders to be sacrificed. Very much specific on purpose to foreshadow. He goes to sacrifice him and God finally stops him and says, don't, I just wanted to see if you would go through with that. And because you believe me, you trust me, I am going to do everything I promised. I'm going to give you that land. I'm going to give you inheritance and you're going to get everything I promised as the inheritance for your son. That's what he said. Knowing one day, of course, Jesus wouldn't, God wouldn't stop the sacrifice of his son, Jesus. But again, the kingdom would come. Well, inherit it. And this we're going to be talking about. So this does fit, actually. Okay. Now, pause. History. So you have Ishmael, born of an Egyptian, an Arab. And you have Isaac. And genealogies go off. After Jesus, 600 years after Jesus, prophet Muhammad comes. Okay. Muhammad is a descendant of Ishmael. In the Quran, he says, I'm a descendant of Ishmael. And he goes back and he has, a, in what he claims, a dream from the archangel that the Hebrews got it wrong. 
that the promise of that land was actually, <laughs> was actually supposed to be for Ishmael. And that the child that was to be sacrificed on that mountain, that the Hebrew Bible was wrong, that actually that was Ishmael. And because Ishmael and Abraham were faithful and God spared him, that God, all that covenant promise actually belongs to Ishmael. Okay? That is the situation still unfolding over 4,000 years later. This is when, when Hagar had Ishmael. And this is all I'm going to read. I, I highlighted a bunch of stuff, but I, I do have a sermon today that's not this, so we'll see how it goes. I think it's important that you at least understand. Because the world doesn't understand. I get it. They see war. They see death. They see children. They, they see this. I see it. It's, it's horrific. They don't understand that this is a spiritual battle of the spirit of evil in the world that is at war against the future promises of God. That's what this is about. And it's not going to end with any territorial divisions. I promise you. It's only going to end when the one who made the covenant comes back. When the prince of peace actually comes back and establishes peace. That's when it comes. And that's why we're, we're, we're to pray for that. The coming of the king to resolve this issue that has been there since before Israel was birthed. This is anyways, this is what God says to Hagar about her child. Now, this is amazing stuff. So he says, of Ishmael, the Lord heard you cried about your son. Don't worry, I'll look after him basically. This son of yours, though, will be a wild man, as untamed as a wild donkey. He will raise his fist against everyone. Do you, you realize, have you ever seen the posters? <laughs> what are the posters of for the Palestinian group? Okay, the raised fist, and everyone will be against him. Yes, he will live in open open hostility against all of his relatives. Israel and the Arab nations are brothers from the same family. But they have been in open hostility since then. That's when it started. So yes, lots has gone, lots has happened since then, you know, for sure. And each side will point out different areas of time in which Israel dominated and, and probably went too far, and other Israel will show times. And the bottom line is the enemy of this world, <laughs> the evil one, wants to destroy God's people. And guess what? You're grafted in. You're part of Israel. Why do you think, why do you think the Arab nation does not just say death to Israel? Okay? They want to wipe them out, but they don't just want to wipe them out. They want to wipe out Christians. Why is it in every Arab nation that even as we pray here, we cannot talk about the people from our congregation who are currently in those kinds of nations trying to serve? Because if they were found out to be Christians there, they would be destroyed as well. And so this is a war. This is what's going on. And I just don't want you to be ignorant about it. And it, what it means, it's sad, it actually gets sadder for me then because there's no, ish, there's no solution in this world 
from a worldly perspective. And that's why we become people of prayer. That's why we become people of anticipation for the kingdom, that the kingdom would come. That's what we have to care about. That's what we pray for, and that's what we focus on. So just so you don't, you're not ignorant. You have lots of good reading. There's so much good there in the stories. And, and it can seem unfair that God did that, that God would pick one, one child and say, this is the one in which I want to give this inheritance to. And he wasn't, and, he, and this is why it makes them so angry. He wasn't the oldest. But this happened over and over. God did this over and over again, didn't he? He did it with David. He did it over and over again. He kept saying, I pick. I pick. And it seems unfair. And so this is why Muhammad, I believe, had to come around and try to rewrite the story and say, no, no, no. It, I know God gets to pick, but you got it wrong. He was actually the one in the picture. Okay, let's move on because this actually, I think, ties in and it fits to this whole idea. The book of Matthew. So we're looking at Matthew chapter 5 to 7. But the book of Matthew, the theme of the book of Matthew is the kingdom of God, or he says the kingdom of heaven. So the other gospels often say the kingdom of God. Matthew says kingdom of heaven. There's no difference. There's not two different kingdoms. It's the same thing. Um, Matthew's concern when he's writing to the Jewish people was they were so fixated on the kingdom of God being an earthly kingdom that we believe he, he, he wrote and said the kingdom of heaven. He wanted them to understand that the kingdom that Jesus was bringing was a spiritual kingdom. There's a spiritual kingdom to it. Now, we actually believe it'll be a physical kingdom as well, but the Jews are so fixated on that. Why? Because of all this battle, because of this territory, because of this land, because of what was theirs. And there, when this word is coming, right, when this word is coming to them, they are again, like, repetitive on their history. They're under oppression. They're under now the Roman rule. And, and only in, like, only in, like, 70 years... They're going to be kicked out of, they're going to be basically fed the lions and destroyed and everything else. And by 130, completely removed from the land, the temple will be all destroyed. And so they were under this intense pressure, this oppression. And so Matthew didn't want them to get confused. He wanted to get them to shift off that this kingdom that they longed for so bad was going to be this physical land that they stood on today. And that's what, if you go there, I've been there, and I've been where Jesus talked on the Sermon on the Mount, and I've stood on that hillside, but they, there's something different there. They're, this is why there's such war there for them. This is the place that the kingdom has to happen. And Matthew wanted them to know that the kingdom of God is so much bigger than what they could touch and what they could see today. And so he talks about the kingdom of God, and John, and John records that Jesus did say this. He said this to, to the, of course, the Romans when they were trying to kill Jesus. And they said, so you're calling yourself a king, Jesus. You're being accused. You keep calling yourself a king. It's a threat. It's a threat to the kingdoms, right? And Jesus said this in John 18, 36, my kingdom's not of this world. If it were, well, my servants would be fighting right now. They'd be fighting you to prevent my arrest, but I'm not calling, I'm not coming to establish a kingdom, an army. My kingdom is from another place. I'm not here to develop that kind of kingdom. I'm here to develop the heart of people after God. And so the Sermon on the Mount, the, the theme again is, is Matthew, the kingdom of heaven. And, and what we're looking at on the Sermon on the Mount is, is values of the kingdom and how they 
how they change our lives in two areas. Now, this is a very consistent message from Jesus over and over and over again. This is what he's talking about. He said all the teachings of the laws and the prophets are all about two things. They're about two things. How do you do relationships with each other, and how do you do relationships with God? What does that look like for you to live well with people, and what does it look like to live well before God? That's what the Sermon on the Mount is. And, he's, and it's, it's so significant. And one of the things is, what you have to, some people take the Sermon on the Mount then, and they go, well, that, this is a new, a new system of commandments. It's not. He's, he's showing you what it looks like to be in healthy relationships. And not only did he teach it, the Sermon on the Mount is early on there because everything that happens after the Sermon on the Mount, as you read the book, Jesus lived it out. He didn't say to do it. He said, this is the kingdom. Let me show you the kingdom. Let me help you understand the kingdom. And then, because he's the king of kings of that kingdom, that's how he lived. And so everything you read in the Sermon on the Mount, you'll be able to pull it forward and go, oh, look at that story. That's Jesus experiencing the very thing he said, that that's what it looks like to live in relationship with God. That's what it looks like to live in relationship with people. So when he says to us as followers of him, look, if you're going to follow me, this is what it looks like in the Sermon on the Mount. He also demonstrated it for us. It wasn't like he put a burden on us and said, here, now go do this instead of that. He said, this is the kingdom. And then his followers watched it happen to him. Watched him love his enemies. Watched him give to the needy. Watched him put the things of God before the things of this world. They watched him in the midst of a storm not be afraid. That he didn't worry. That he wasn't consumed of the things of the world. And this is what, this is what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. And the reason I called it different is you need to know that if you are going to follow Jesus the way the kingdom, the way of the kingdom, you are going to do things different than the kingdom of this world. You can't help but stand out. You can't add Christianity values to your existing life and do life with everyone else and for them not to notice if you're truly following the way of the kingdom. It is counter-cultural. It is distinctly different. We saw this in, in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 says if there's any encouragement from belonging to Christ, so if you're going to belong to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship with his spirit, so if you're going to join with him in this kingdom, right, and your hearts are tender and compassionate, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. So join in on the kingdom, if, you're, if you belong to Christ and become part of the kingdom value system. So, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others better than yourselves. Don't look only out to your own interests, but take an interest in others. You must have the same attitudes that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he didn't, he didn't think quality with God was something that he could hang on to. Said he gave up his divine privileges and he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. 
And so we see this is what it looks like. This is the Sermon on the Mount, the outcomes of what it says. So I want to just walk through quickly. <laughs> I promise, I'll try. <laughs> quickly, the Beatitudes, the Beatitudes, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And when you read the Beatitudes, and you've heard of these before, probably, even if you haven't come to church your whole life, you've heard of the Beatitudes. They're not things that we're being asked to strive for. They're not things where it's like, okay, I got to figure out how to become more like that. The Beatitudes are pronouncements of who is welcome in the kingdom. It's invitational language. It's, I want you to know who the kingdom is for. I want you to know what the kingdom is like. I want you to understand the outcomes of what it means when you belong to this kingdom. That's what the Beatitudes are all about. The, the Beatitudes are pronouncements of the priorities of the king. And so as we go through them in a minute, you'll see, wait a minute, this, this was Jesus' priorities. When he lived and he walked and he ministered and who he hung out with, the Beatitudes was the people that he brought the kingdom to. He went out of his way to say, see, the kingdom is comes and coming towards these people. And so it was a declaration, it was a pronouncement of this is what the priorities of Jesus, of our king, are. And so as a church, again, as we are his body now in the world, they not represent things that we strive to be, which, sure, they're attitudes as well that are good, but... They're for us to see through and go, this is who the kingdom needs to go to. Here, who we welcome, we welcome these people. And when you see yourself in the beatitude, which you will see yourself there, that's when you just give thanks and go, wow, I cannot believe that this kingdom belongs to me. But as a minister of the kingdom, as we're ministering from the king, as his representative in the world, we are looking for the people that he describes that the kingdom is for. And sometimes we lose sight of that and we want to we give the kingdom to some people who, quite frankly, don't want it. And so I think our eyes are, look, this is the good news. So when it says, I always got confused by this, when it said Jesus preached the good news, I thought, I'm confused. Like, he hadn't died yet. What was he talking? What did he talk about? So, Matthew 4, if you have your Bible, when Matthew 4, right before this, it says that Jesus went throughout this area preaching the good news of the kingdom. The good news of the kingdom is that there's a king, and you are welcome to be a part of his kingdom. There's a good news. There's a king out there. And you can have an inheritance of that kingdom. That's what he preached. The Beatitudes are promises. So when we find ourselves in the situation that a Beatitude is talking about, we take it not as just a pronouncement, but we take it as a promise. That because we have a king who loves us, we will experience what he's saying we're going to experience in his kingdom. 
Blessed are the. What does it mean, blessed? Blessed, you know, <laughs> it's kind of gone away, I think. But, I mean, I was getting really annoyed with all the hashtag blessed stuff going around there a few years back. You know, everyone had a bumper sticker on their, like, super nice car, you know, Mercedes driving around with hashtag blessed. And you're like, ah, like, sure, that's the world. Why? Because blessed simply means very happy. I'm very happy. Look. I have a beautiful car. I'm very happy. I have a beautiful wife. I'm very happy. I have a great job. I'm very happy. I have all these things. And that made sense. That actually was part of the phrase even then as it is now. And so in Jewish cultures, they would, they would talk this way. They would say, man, blessed is, you know, and you've, even scriptural, like blessed is the man who has many children. Right? Blessed is the, is the person who has a great job because they don't have to worry about their future. And so we have these same things, you know, blessed are the very good-looking people because people will admire them and they'll probably get married and someone will want to marry them. That's amazing. So I'm so blessed my kid is good-looking because they're going to get married someday, you know. So this was a common thing people would say. I'm so blessed because my, ha- my family is healthy. I'm so blessed because I get to go on vacation and I get to be rested whenever I go. I'm so blessed that I have so many likes on Facebook or Instagram because I might be able to get famous. So the world has a system of happiness and blessing for sure. We're we're accustomed to it. This culture of our world says these are the things that make you happy. Health, wealth. I mean, this is why I just blows my mind when I see people in the church kingdom who take up these blessedness and say this is what the kingdom of God looks like because we see right here that's what the kingdom of God goes towards. In fact, Jesus says all the opposite. I don't have time to go into Luke, but with Luke records the same things, but then he also adds on that Jesus also said, whoa, whoa, woe to the rich. You know, there's blessing to these people, but whoa, these people need to be careful because they're experiencing a blessing and they're not going to anticipate or need or want the blessing to come. It's hard for a rich man to get in the kingdom of God. Why? Because they already feel blessed. So they're not going to seek a blessing that's greater when they today feel content. And this is what I'm trying to say when the church goes, wow, we just need to, you know, we, we're trying, or maybe you're witnessing or you're trying to have fellowship with somebody and they have so much going for their life and you're so frustrated with them. They're like, don't they understand their need of Jesus? No. No, they don't. They're experiencing blessing. They're blessed. They're very happy. Jesus said, I didn't come for the rich. I didn't come for healthy people. I mean, it sounds horrible because a lot of us in the room, I mean, maybe you don't feel it, but you're rich. I I didn't come for that. The kingdom of God came for some specific people. The poor in spirit. (laughs) The kingdom of God, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs, their, their, their (laughs) fulfillment of what they need is the kingdom of heaven. Their longing is met in the kingdom of heaven. So the first beatitude in the second one um, ends with the same phrase, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And in between, it doesn't say that, but you need to know that that's part of literary, um, when it says it the first time, 
and then it, it says it at the end, it's saying in everything in between, that's the conclusion that they, it belongs to all of these. So for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, you could say that every beatitude, and it would, it would be correct, the first one and the last one and everything in between, this is the kingdom of God because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. So blessed are the poor in spirit. It wasn't just poor, it was the impoverished, the, the sense of those that have nothing, the oppressed. Poverty, yes, but the Jewish people, see, they, 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 they were taught, just like some people teach today, that if God really, really loved you, you would be experiencing the blessings of wealth, abundance. And so if you were poor in this country, or you were sick, or you were ostracized, then you just assume that God didn't want you around, rejected you. You don't matter in the kingdom. And Jesus said, no, the poor in spirit, that's who the kingdom of God belongs to. It's for them. Theirs, what does it say? For theirs. In other words, their joy, their happiness, their blessing is kept for them and it's found in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus talked about this other times in Matthew, Matthew chapter 13. Remember he talked about like a pearl that would be found and you finally find a pearl and you, you, you just, this is of great value and so you sell everything you have. Or he said it's kind of like you find treasure in, in, a, in a piece of property and, and you found it and, and you, you, you hide it again, the property, and you go off and you sell everything you have. You bankrupt yourself so that you can have the treasure because you're smart. You're like, you know what? I found treasure in this field. That field isn't mine. Um, I'm going to hide it again. And I'm going to bankrupt myself. I'll do whatever it takes to buy that field. And then the treasure will be mine. Saying, that's, that's the kingdom of God. It is, when you see it and you understand it, it is such value that you would empty yourself of every other blessing that you possibly could have in life to get that one. And so for those that are poor in spirit, they don't have anything to compete with. They're just so ecstatic when they understand that the kingdom belongs to them. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Those that are sad, those that are upset, those who are mourning, those who are grieving. There's lots of ways to interpret this for sure, but those who have lost, those who are experiencing loss, those... <laughs> who are mourning their sin, those who are mourning the situation. And, and this is why my heart breaks for those people right now in the Middle East in the, in the fighting in the war because their mourning is increasing, 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 and they don't understand what will satisfy their mourning is not a piece of property. It's not going to make up for it. That's why this keeps going around and around. They can draw new lines all they want. Because mourning of great loss and suffering is only found, only can you find comfort and joy in the kingdom of heaven. They're going to be comforted where? Where they can receive comfort? They're going to receive comfort in the kingdom of heaven. Now, I want you, I should, I should say this, I mean, 
I'm not that good at this, at this stuff. So some of these things I'm like, ah, you know, I've, I need to do some more study in there. The kingdom of heaven is two, is two things at once. It's a spiritual kingdom that we can participate in today. And it's a coming kingdom that actually when the kingdom finally gets established on earth, then all of these things will be true of everybody in the kingdom. But for today, it's not that we just have to wait until that kingdom happens. Because when we live in the kingdom of heaven today, it means we live under the lordship of Jesus Christ. He comforts us. It says the spirit will comfort us. So we get a taste. I think it's just a taste. But we get a taste of what it looks like to live in the final kingdom by being where? Where is the kingdom supposed to be? Rampant today is in the church. We are as agents of the kingdom. And so we need to be people who comfort people who mourn, who, again, see the people who are poor in spirit, the broken, the downcast, and we rally around them because they taste the kingdom, not just through the presence of the Holy Spirit, but the presence of the Holy Spirit through us. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. I should go into each of these in greater detail, but the meek is not, the word is... Strength under control. The meek are those that, what Jesus did, it said in Philippians 2. Though he had the ability of strength, though he could have taken control of the situation, he surrendered that, he surrendered his rights, he surrendered his ability to take control for the benefit of others. That's meekness. It's not really humility, it's, a little, it's just a little bit unique and different. It's not weakness, sometimes we think meekness is weakness, it's not. It's the demonstration of control, of self-control, of your strength and ability to take control for the benefit of another. They're the ones that are going to inherit the earth, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. I, I think this really means, and there's some of you in this room, you got to take these words and sometimes they're just too big in our heads and you break it down and say, those who are hungering and thirsting for things to be made right. You experience injustice in the world. You look at the world today and go, this isn't right. Something needs to be done. Maybe you've been abused, you've been neglected, you've been something. You would just say, this isn't right. Who is God? Why would God allow this to happen to me? I'm in this situation. And he's saying, if you are hungering and you are thirsting for righteousness, for things to be made right, you need to know in the kingdom of God, you will be satisfied. In the kingdom, the king will reign with justice. And when you see it, you will say, it is good what he did. For those that are hungering and thirsting, for those that are oppressed, and this was his audience for sure, they were crying out for justice. He says, don't worry, in the kingdom of God, you won't have a need to cry out for justice anymore. You will experience it. You will be filled up with awareness and understanding and be satisfied that God is just. Blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. Because they're like Jesus. <laughs> they're like God. They're like our Heavenly Father. 
So for those that are merciful, well, they're going to be shown mercy in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, if you forgive people of their sins, my Father will forgive you. These are all tied together with other things he taught on later on. Because at this point, they're like, mercy, you just want me to give mercy. I mean, these are the people, again, fighting for their land, trying to get from under oppression. And he's talking about being meek and, and kind of soft and merciful. And they're like, that's not how we're going to get our kingdom. And in our world, it's the same thing. People say, look, you can't just roll over. You can't do that. But in the kingdom of God, that's how it works. Because in the kingdom, things are made right. And the king is in charge, and the king is in control. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Pure in heart. None of us are pure in heart. <laughs> so this is a, a different one again. It's like, well, how do I become pure in heart? So some of these we put on ourselves and say, look, like, I got to do this now. I got to become meek. No, that's not what he's saying. I got to become poor in spirit. I got to become thirsty. I got to be, he's going, these, this is who the kingdom goes towards. You are these things, the kingdom. That's why Jesus went after these people. He literally found people who were broken, people who were rejected, people who were poor, people who were sick. And he went for people pure in heart, not because they were sinless at all, because they were legitimately and authentically desiring the kingdom of God. And so those people often were the prostitutes. They were the people who had already experienced the world in which it has to offer and found it abusive. And their hearts were ready for the kingdom of God because they were so sincere in their desire to follow Jesus. So Jesus said, who loves more? The one who's been forgiven a little bit or the one who's been forgiven much? And he rebuked people when they saw people who didn't look pure in heart coming to the king of kings. He said, oh, you don't understand. These people are pure in heart because their full desire has been placed on grace and forgiveness from me. The kingdom of God, they're the ones who are going to see God. And this blew the mind of the Pharisees who believed that if you kept yourself squeaky clean and washed your hands and did everything right, that they were the ones who were going to see God. And they hid everything. And Jesus said, no, it's not like cleaning the outside. It's your intent, your heart. You desire, you long to see God. You will see God. Those are the people that are invited into the kingdom of God. They're authentic. In other words, you cannot faith, pretend, church, pray, read your Bible into the kingdom of God. This isn't about how often you attend church or how many scripture verses you're going to memorize or how much you're going to be able to clean yourself up or do the right things. Those aren't the people that are going to encounter in the kingdom of God. He says it's just the pure of heart, those that just are <laughs> sincere in their longing for God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Why? They called children of God because that's what God is all about. Making peace. 
And so as we make peace with others, as we help people have, find peace with God, that's our job. Our job is a ministry of reconciliation. In other words, restoring people back to God, restoring people back to one another. That's our job. Peacemaking. That's our job. In the kingdom, because we're in the kingdom, now we're peacemakers. Peacemakers are his children. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For those are... the for theirs is the kingdom of God. Now he goes on and he explains it's the same beatitude. Blessed are those persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me, not because you're a jerk, but because of me. In other words, it's going to happen. He said that. People hate me. They're going to hate you in the kingdom. That's how it works. You would think that living this way is going to get you a lot of fans, just like it's not. I mean, it does for a time. Jesus had a lot of fans for a time. But in the kingdom, you have to stand for what's right. Rejoice and be glad because great is reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You don't go after persecution, in other words. You don't go after persecution so you can experience the blessing. Jesus said, if you're being persecuted because of me, don't worry. You're going to get the kingdom of heaven. Your reward will be great. Just go find it and beg for it and look for it. It's going to happen. Jesus said, if you, whatever you've given up for me, the cost is great. He said, count the cost. Some of you have to give up family. Some of you have to give up fame. Some of you have to give up possessions. He said, whatever you've had to give up for me, whether it's home, house, family, connection, in the kingdom of heaven, you'll be rewarded. That's the kingdom of heaven. So the calling for us is to live in this new kingdom. And this is what we're going to talk about over the next few weeks of what does this look like to live under this value system that's so contrary to the rest of the world. That in the midst of whatever circumstances we find that we can experience being happy or joyful or filled or blessed because we are getting a source from outside of the circumstances. When we read the Beatitudes wrong, we think this. The situation is the source of the blessing. It's backwards. Okay? It's not the situation that creates the blessing. It's the conclusion of those in that situation that makes them feel blessed. It's that at the end of our mourning, at the end of our situation, in the end of our poverty, in the end of our persecution, in the end of all that, we know that there is the love of the kingdom of God being poured out on us. We don't try to find it in the situation. That's horrible. I mean, sometimes Christians, we do that to each other. Someone's going to suffering and we say things, well, be blessed in that. And it's like, not in that. They're not going to be blessed in that. They're being blessed from the king. It's a big, big difference. We don't rejoice in those things. We rejoice in the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. So I hope that you journey with us the next couple of weeks as we go through Matthew chapters 5 through 7 and learn what does it look like to live completely different than the culture around us. Because it is different. And Jesus disturbs us. 
Following Jesus will disturb how you do relationships with people. It very much disturbed, disturbed people and how they thought they were supposed to do relationships with the Heavenly Father. <laughs> but specifically how they related to each other. They just, they couldn't tolerate the values and the priorities of the kingdom. And so I think for us, you're going to get through times and you're going to encounter a few of those. You're going to go, well, that's not fair. You're right. But blessed are those because their inheritance is not in this, but is in the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how your word helps us interpret not only our relationships with each other, our relationship with you, but even it helps us interpret the world around us. And you have asked us to pray for peace. And as I read the story, I think of what you said in, in the book of Genesis about Ishmael, you, you loved Ishmael too. And you said there would be a place for them. <laughs> that they would have descendants. That you would, you would multiply them. You had a plan for them. And you have a plan for Israel. And I know that those two <laughs> groups of people do not know how to coexist and have no desire to do so. And because of that, there are people who are mourning, weeping, crying out of injustice. And today we acknowledge that theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That it awaits for them. That they are welcome to enter the kingdom of heaven and experience the fulfillment of all of these needs that they have that are not being met in this world that will not be met in the land, that will not be met in this new promises or territories, will not be met in the physical needs that can even come their way. Heavenly Father, would you use these times, and you told us, and we're going to read it soon, but you told us, this is why you pray. Your kingdom needs to come. That your will that is done in heaven today would come so that your will would be done in that situation and in our situations that we may be satisfied in all of these areas of great need. We surrender to your kingdom today that we might participate with you in bringing it about throughout this world. In Jesus' name, amen.